Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. Well, on today's show, you're maybe going to hear some things you're not going to agree with. But I ask you to hear me out. I'm getting this from Romans chapter 9, and I'm going to teach today, I don't believe in free will. I don't believe you on your own strength and power can come to Christ. It says in Acts, the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive what the Apostle Paul said. Lydia didn't do that. The Lord opened her heart. I believe in what's called predestination, that before you're born, if you're a Christian today, it's because before you were born, God chose to make you a Christian, opened your heart, and brought you to Christ. So, um, we're going to talk today about the fact that God has the right to do that. <laughs> you know, today we hear a lot about minority rights and women's rights and abortion rights and gay rights. Today, we're going to talk about God's rights. God made the universe, so he has the right to do with it what he will. I mean, for instance, I make pottery for a hobby. Here's a bag of clay that I bought. I own this clay. I bought this clay. So when I get at the potter's wheel, I have the right to make what I want out of this clay because I own it. And isn't it crazy that we humans think we have the right to tell God how to run his clay? <laughs> I mean, I heard of an atheist who said, well, if there is a God, he's going to have to answer to me for all these hurricanes. It doesn't work that way. We do not bring God into our courtroom. One day, he brings us into his courtroom. That's called Judgment Day. But today is a difficult topic. It's deeper than I'm smart. So let's pray and let's get into it. God the Father, as we talk about this rather deep subject of predestination and just how all this works, we pray, Holy Spirit, you will speak to us now through the words of the Apostle Paul. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take out your Bible, if you would. Turn to Romans chapter 9, and let me set up the text here. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome about 57 AD. Paul is Jewish, a Christian Jew, but he's Jewish. And Paul, the Jew, knows the promise that God made to Abraham about 2000 BC that God was going to bless the descendants of Abraham, the Jews. So God does that. He sends the Jews, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And what happens? Most of the Jews reject Christ. And a lot of the non-Jews, the Gentiles, accept Christ. And Paul's thinking, what happened? Did God fail to keep his promise to Abraham to save his descendants, the Jews? I think Paul probably pondered that question long and hard, and then I think the Holy Spirit revealed to him what happened. So here's Paul's response to the question, why aren't the Jews saved? Romans chapter 9, please look at verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. Let's stop there. First lesson, 
God's promises never fail. If God promised Abraham 2000 BC that he was going to save the Jews, he's going to save the Jews. If God promised you to give you eternal life through faith in Christ, he's going to give you eternal life. If God promised you to forgive your sins through Christ, he's going to forgive your sins. If God promised to meet your needs, he's going to meet your needs. I mean, every, when you read your Bible, when you see a promise, it's okay to underline it, and then you trust God is going to keep that promise. He'll do it in his timing. He'll do it in his way. But I feel bad for people who never read their Bible. They, know, they don't know the promises. So read your Bible regularly. One way or another, in this life or the next, God's promises always come true. Now let's look at verse 6 again. It is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel, that's Jewish, who are descended from Israel, the man Israel. Neither are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac, the son Isaac, your descendants will be named. Name, uh, will be, uh, named. In other words, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael by Hagar the slave, and Isaac through Abraham's wife Sarah, the older woman. It, it's just the Isaac line that God promised to bless. So uh, the lesson here is God is free to choose whom he will. Again, God owns the clay, and if he wants to choose one piece of clay to be blessed and the other not to be blessed, God owns this clay. He has the right to do that. He has the right to choose Isaac over Ishmael, and God did. Look at verse 10. And not only so, here's another example of choosing, not only this, but then there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by, our, by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born yet, and had not done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose according to his choice might stand, not because of works, good works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. All right, normally in the Old Testament times, the way it worked was the older son was chosen to get the inheritance. God said, I'm free to turn that upside down. In this instance, I'm going to bless the younger son, Jacob, and not the older son, Esau. So again, here's the lesson. Salvation depends upon God's choice, not our merit. Notice, God chose Jacob over Esau before either had been born, before either had done anything good or bad. So, uh, Christian, hear this. God chose you to be saved not because he foresaw that you were going to be better than the next guy or more open to the gospel than the next guy. He, so, he chose you simply by his grace and by his determination. Now, how is that fair? Why would God choose Jacob over Esau? How come you're saved and your sister isn't? Some of this belongs to the mystery of God. I don't know why he chose me to be saved and leave other people around me unsaved, but I know it's not because he saw I was better or I was going to be more open, because salvation does not depend upon me and how good or bad I am. It's simply by God's choice. That's what he says here. Now that raises a very hard question, namely, how is this fair? How is it fair for God to choose Jacob and not Esau? 
Well, let's look at the next verse, verse 14. We shall, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? Paul answers, may it never be. Here's the next lesson. Don't worry, God will be fair. You know, I, I, don't, I, I don't understand all this predestination stuff. I believe it, but I, I don't understand it. But I do know this, God is more fair than you and I will ever be. And so just, you can sleep tonight, don't worry, God's going to be fair. You know what isn't fair? It isn't fair for us humans to think we have the right to tell God how to run his universe. That's what's not fair. Verse 15, for God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And God says those words right after the Jews worshipped the golden calf. So here's the next lesson. God is not obligated to save everybody. I mean, after the Jews saw all the miracles of God in the wilderness, they turned around and worshipped the golden calf. And at that point, God was not obligated to save any of them. He did, but he wasn't obligated. And I, I heard somebody say this. The miracle of grace is not why doesn't God save everybody? No, the miracle of grace is, given the way we treat God, why did he save anybody? <laughs> the words in verse 15, God has mercy on whom he has mercy, simply means God has the right to save whom he wills. He's not under obligation. Now verse 16. So then, it, salvation, does not depend upon the man who wills or the man who runs but on God who has mercy. That is the verse that makes me not believe in free will. It does not depend on your will, but on God's mercy. Um, most people, most Christians, I think, in America anyway, believe in free will, that God offers you salvation through Christ, and it's up to you, by your own free will, whether to accept Christ or not. This verse says, no, it does not depend upon the man who wills. So here's the next lesson. Salvation does not depend upon my will or exertion, but on God's mercy. And I know that raises a very hard, difficult question. Uh, how is this fair? So let's look at the question, verse 17. For the scripture says to Pharaoh... For this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed through all the earth. So then God has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens the heart, like Pharaoh, of whom he desires. Now, here's the hard question. Verse 19, you will say to me then, why does God still find fault? For who can resist his will? I think that's the hardest question in the Bible. How can God hold Pharaoh accountable for a hard heart when it says in the Bible, God hardened his heart? Um, well, here's Paul's answer. It's not a full answer. It's a partial answer. I don't think we'll get the full answer till we're in heaven, but this is one of the first questions I want to ask God. How is this fair? And here's Paul's response, verse 20. On the contrary, who are you, O man, who talks back to God. 
The thing molded will not say to its molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to take from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and he did it in order that he might make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he called not only from among the Jews, but also from among the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Well, here's Paul's answer to how is any of this fair. Paul's answer is, don't pack, talk back to God. <laughs> It's not a full answer. I wish Paul would have explained it more. I don't know that he knew any more than that. But we don't have the right to talk back to God on what he does with his clay. Uh, again, here, here's, here's, here's what I think Paul is saying. All right, here's my clay. I make pottery. I have the right out of one lump to make two lumps. And out of the same lump of clay, I can make, this is one of my better pieces, I can make a beautiful vase. But out of the same lump, and this is one of my uglier pieces, I can make kind of a dumpy-looking bowl to eat cereal out of. I own the clay. I've got the right to make a beautiful vase and a dumpy bowl out of, out of my clay because I own it. Paul is saying God created the universe. He has the right to choose one lump of clay for glory and the other lump of clay he has the right to destroy, ultimately. So, God has the right to do what he wants with his clay. Here's my bottom line. If you are watching this show and you believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation, praise God for that because you didn't do that. You know who did that? Before you were born, God chose to bring you to Christ God chose to open your heart like Lydia's so that you would accept Christ. It's not because he foresaw you were better or more open. He did that according to Romans 9, simply by his grace. So praise him for his grace. There we go. That's our lesson from Romans chapter 9. And one last point. Because of predestination, because God chooses whomever he wants to save and then saves them, God ends up saving some of the last people you'd ever think he'd save, like Paul. Paul was a Jew who hated Christianity. God said, no, I chose you before you were born, Paul. You're going to be an apostle to the, to the Gentiles. And God's still doing that. I, there's a wonderful Christian ministry called Voice of the Martyrs that helps the persecuted overseas. We're going to see a story now, true story, of a man whom God decided to save when nobody thought this guy could be saved. Here's the clip. Today we are celebrating the engagement of a young couple in our village. That is until this Christian returned. Four days ago he came into our village trying to convert us, telling everyone about his Jesus. We warned him not to come back, yet here he is. Kia ora. Eh? Kia ora. 
आपने कहा था आप हमारे गांव में नहीं आएंगे क्यों आ गए आप ये बताता भाई यहाँ हिंदू का गांव है हिंदू का प्रचार होता है ये नहीं आएंगे अगर हम नहीं आते देसी जी के बारे में और अगर आएगा फिर आपको हमें देखा अच्छा नहीं होगा हमसे पूरा कोई नहीं होगा गाँव है आप यहाँ कोई भी प्रचार नहीं करेंगे नहीं करेंगे नहीं करेंगे कई बार मना किया हमने कि प्रभु यीशु का प्रचार हमारे गांव में ना करे लेकिन वो मना करने के बाद भी नहीं माना और हमने उसको बहुत मार दिया यह हमें नहीं मालूम हो रहा है कि वो जीवित है या कि मर चुका है तो आप जाइए उसको देखिए उठिए ना उठिए जाइए आप आप ऐसा काम क्यों किया है हम लोग इनके साथ क्या करेंगे अगर इसका परमेश्वर सच्चा है तो इसकी मदद अवश्य करेगा और हम इसे जाने देंगे सूटर डिड रिकवर एंड फोर डेज आफ्टर लीविंग आवर विलेज ही केम बैक अगेन नाउ माई वाइफ एंड आई फॉलो जीसस and Suda is our pastor when you pray for the persecuted please remember to also pray for those who persecute 
For us, it may be the only way we will see the love of God. Well, that's a powerful story that God can save anybody by his predestining grace, including the guy that persecuted. And that's a true story from Voice of the Martyrs, a wonderful Christian ministry that helps the persecuted overseas. I hope you, you, you support them. Jackie, we've got some questions now from the Bible, so take a Jackie. Okay. I guess my first question for you would be, doesn't God give everyone free will? we all have a will. You could argue Adam and Eve had free will and then they ate the fruit and they lost free will because after the, the, the sin in the garden, we've been bound to sin ever since. And Jackie, back in the 1500s, <clears throat> a Catholic scholar named Erasmus wrote a book called The Freedom of the Will. Martin Luther read it and hated that book, and he wrote a response called The Bondage of the Will. And, and a lot of Christians believe we're free to choose Christ or not, it's all up to us. Luther said, no, we're bound, our will has, is bound to sin. The only way we come to Christ now is not by our will. We never would come on our own. It's by the Holy Spirit that we're brought to Christ. So I don't think we have free will. We have a, everybody has a will, but it's an evil will until God frees us by the Holy Spirit. So do most Christians believe in free will? I think most American Christians do. Um, but if you're a Calvinist, you're not supposed to. And if you're a Lutheran, you're not supposed to. But I think it's the, a lot of Lutherans and Calvinists, you know, don't know what their church teaches or what the Bible teaches on this. So a lot of them do. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't God predestine us because he saw ahead of time that we would accept Christ? Yes. Now, some people take Romans chapter 8 that says, those whom God foreknew, he predestined to become uh, uh, inter uh, saved. But the, and they think foreknow means he saw ahead of time if they'd accept Christ. That's not what foreknow means. It's like Adam knew Eve. Uh, God foreknew us. Foreknow there means he forechose us, he foreloved us like Adam and Eve did. So that's what I think foreknow means in Romans chapter 8. Okay. So some teach that God chooses not to know the future in order to protect man's free will. Yeah. Is this there's still a, there's true? A, there's a certain teacher, and a, this isn't a very common teaching, thanks be to God, but there are some teachers who say in order to protect free will, God chooses not to know the future. Because if God knows you're going to accept Christ, you're going to accept Christ. If God knows you're going to reject Christ, you're going to reject. You can't change the mind of God. So this, some of these theologians say, well, God chooses not to know the future to protect free will. The Bible never teaches that, Jackie. The Bible teaches from Isaiah, God declares the end from the beginning. God knows uh, the end from the beginning, so that doesn't work. So... 
Where exactly is predestination in the Bible? Yeah, Ephesians chapter 1, God predestines all things according to the counsel of his will. And then Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. And then there are other places in the New Testament that use the word predestined. So just look up in a concordance. It's in the Bible. When people say, I don't believe in predestination. These are Christian people. I say, but the word's in the Bible. And Jackie, again, it's, just, it's not just for knowledge that God knows the future. The word predestined means he destines the future. So. so does he predestine some to be saved and some to be damned? Well, now here's where it gets tricky. Uh, let me give you three views, okay? The first view is the free will view, that God um, offers Christ to everybody, which he does, but then it's up to you of your own free will whether to accept Christ or not. That's very popular. I don't think it's biblical, but a lot of people think it is. The second view is called single predestination. This is what Lutherans believe, that God does predestine the saved to be saved. And as far as the damned, um, well, that's not God's fault. We leave that to the mystery of God. But he does predestine the saved to be saved. The third view is called double predestination. This is the Calvinism, that if you're saved, it is because God predestined you to be saved. If you're damned, it is because God predestined you to be damned. Now, personally, I'm at least on single predestination. When I read Romans 9, I wonder if double predestination isn't going on there because of the question, why does God still find fault, doesn't make much sense unless God is predestining both. But there's enough of a mystery here that I lean towards single, but I don't believe in the, the first view, which is that you decide whether you're saved or not. It's up to you. Okay, two-part question here. How do I know if I've been predestined? Maybe God has predestined me for hell. And if predestination is true, why should a person pray for their lost ones? Okay, good, good questions. We got a minute. All right. Somebody might say, okay, well, how do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if God predestined me to be saved? If you believe in Christ, that's proof you were predestined to be saved. You can't believe in Christ on your own. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So don't go to bed worrying if you're predestined or not. If you believe in Christ, that's evidence God did predestine you because you can't do it on your own. And then the other question was, uh, if predestination is true, why pray for the, sal the salvation of lost people? Was that your question? Mm -hmm. All right, well, if free will is true, why pray? If Uncle Joe's salvation is dependent on his free will, why pray to God? Because it's up to Uncle Joe. But if predestination is true, that's when I can pray for Uncle Joe's salvation. So there we go. We've got about a minute left, so maybe I can get this last question into okay. you. If, pre if predestination is true, why do we send missionaries yeah. since God is already predestined? Well, again, I'm going to say if free will is true, why send the missionaries? Because it's up to them. But if predestination is true, the thing is, God only knows who the predestined are. He's commanded us to send out the missionaries, and we, we send them out, we preach the gospel, and then God determines who accepts it. It says in the book of Acts, the apostles are preaching, and the Lord appointed people to eternal life, to believe. So, there you go. Well, Jackie, that's the end. It's the end, and we want to thank you for being with us this week, and we pray that God will be with you, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. 
You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the pastor's study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.